Okay, grab a cup of tea, pull your car over or find a park bench and join me for this inspiring conversation with the absolute queen of snowboarding, Joni Batenhorst. Have you ever wondered whether Will and Desire to dig deep and lay it all on the line, or as Chumpy would say, go all in, actually comes from? Me too. So we decided to find out. And what better place to do it than with Chumpy Pullen's friends, colleagues, and competitors? I am Miff Rennie, an Aussie free skier from the south coast of Sydney. I've been gifted the chance to speak to some of the world's best athletes, coaches, and leaders on what it means to go all in and chase your own never. Making never possible starts now. At age 10, Joni lost her leg in a tragic accident on the family farm in South Africa. She had to learn to walk all over again. Not long after, the family made the move from South Africa to Dubbo, where Joni quickly discovered a love of athletics, sport and high performance. Yet another day we have to share My reflections of these when I appreciate what I have Fueled by a passion for proving people wrong, Joni set her sights on becoming one of the best athletes on the planet, a goal she achieved over and over in her short sporting career. In 2017, Joni won the Crystal Globe, positioning her as a number one para snowboarder on the earth. In 2018, Joni was appointed co-captain of the Australian Paralympic team and the Australian flag bearer for the opening ceremony for the Sochi Games. Despite selection in Australian Paralympic teams for Sochi in 2014 and Pyeongchang in 2018, Joni never competed at a Paralympic Games. I'll dream with the moon, rise with the sun. In September 2019, Joni announced her retirement from elite competition and is now pursuing a career in the media. We quickly discover through this conversation that Joni, the former snowboarder, is so much more than a snowboard world champion. Joni is a leader who not only inspires belief for women and disabled athletes, she is proof that anybody with a body, abled or not, and a dream can chase it down. Please enjoy my chat with my new absolute bestie, my queen, Joni Badenhurst. Good, thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming into the studios as well. We haven't done a in-studio conversation here at the Commons. It's actually so impressive and I might not. It's pretty tech. The beer on tap and the basketball court. I also, I come in all the time and I'm like, this place is mental. Chumpy Pullen podcast, pretty exciting to have you on. 
Well, I'm excited. This is so great. When you reached out, I don't think I even like let you sit there for a minute. I was like, yes, have me. When? Next week. Right Get now. in here now. <laughs> <laughs> so border cross, you're a border cross athlete. Your connection with Chumpy, how did that start? So my entrance into snowboarding was obviously a few years ago in 2013 and it was quite an abrupt entrance into the Paralympic side of snowboarding and to be honest we didn't cross that often because we had such different World Cup races so we only really saw each other and got introduced to each other here in Australia when we had those like team meetings bonding sessions you know with SSA getting together and um the first time I met Chumpy was when he did a speaking event at one of the um, SSA events about just being great and how to tackle just getting your dreams in how the sport. How to do your chump. Yeah, <laughs> just, um, yeah, and he came around afterwards and introduced himself to us and clearly saw that I was very new to the whole scene. I had only been snowboarding a few years. So um, yeah, I introduced and gave some encouraging words. And from then on, every time uh, every time we saw each other, it was just it was just really cool to be able to touch base. Yeah. You said you started snowboarding in 2013? I did, yeah. it's <laughs> What? That is really late to start yeah. snowboarding. How old were you then? Yeah, I was 19. That's actually mental. Yeah, I just turned, I literally uh, quit my job after finishing high school. I transitioned out of, I had like a very brief sporting career in athletics and dramatically had to retire because of, guess what, injury. Yay. <laughs> um, yeah, and I kind of got transitioned into snowboarding because I was a fairly young disabled female and they were like, you've got good balance and just kind of really pushed me towards the sport. And um, yeah, I had seven months on snow before I qualified for the Sochi Games in 2014. Rough, bizarre <laughs> seven months of my life. Is mental. Mm. It so was that was insane. a year after, that was a year before I met you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so, crazy to me. I know. Yeah. You had been snowboarding way longer than me. Yeah. I met, yep. Well, I've been on snow since I was a baby. Well, but yeah. yeah, joined the team. That means like I joined the team pretty much like the same time you joined the team. Isn't that crazy? And I'm old. So it was, it was very tough. I mean, I had seen snow in South Africa because you don't put South Africa yeah. and snowboarding together. Or Australia either. I mean, yeah, 100%. Yeah, more, more, than, more than South Africa. Yeah. I mean, I went skiing once in like the most random place in South Africa and then my like fake leg and the ski got stuck on the T-bar and pulled me halfway up the T-bar and pulled my leg off <laughs> and then just swung it around, flicked my leg into like never, never land. And I just kind of sat there on the snow and I was like, yep, well, now what? So my mom and dad had to go hiking. This was in the Drakensberg Mountains and they had to go and find my leg. And after that, I was like, maybe snow is not my thing. You know what I mean? And yeah. then, yeah, it, no, it was. So I saw snow for the second time here in Australia and um, it was it was insane my first few weeks on snow. So how old were you when you moved to Australia? It was 2009, the 14th of January, and I was turning 15 that year. Yeah, and we moved to Dubbo. Um, I don't know. My if family's all from Dubbo. Stop it. Oh, look, girlfriend. It's a big town. Big town so many years ago, and to be honest, like – 
a fresh immigrant a that family, didn't speak though. English. I moved to Dubbo True. and I was like, I can't understand a word of the English that people are speaking here. I had to like relearn Australian English. Dubbo. Yeah, Dubbo. Yeah. What was what was the move for? What was in Dubbo? Look, anyone moving from South Africa, there's like a few main reasons, either for safety or for finance or just a new start. And we mm-hmm. were all three of them. For me more so the medical system failed me as a young amputee and, you know, prosthetics are so expensive. They start with about $30,000 per prosthetic and you need about six a year growing up because you're constantly changing. And as you change, your prosthetics need to adapt. There's no money to support anyone with disability. So they Googled uh, countries that offer support to immigrants with disabilities and Canada and Australia came up. And um, my mum's from the Kalahari Desert, so she was like, I am definitely not moving to a country where it is minus 50. So Australia and Dubbo. How old were you when you lost your leg? I was 10. It was a month before my 11th birthday. So very, very, very young when that happened in 2005 on our farm in South Africa. Mm -hmm. Yeah, crazy times. But I think... It was a blessing in disguise it happening at such a young age because, you know, I got to learn. I had only learned to walk and run, you know, five years before that. I had to learn how to do everything again with one leg and it was fairly easy compared to someone, you know, losing limbs at an older age. So mm-hmm. definitely very happy and lucky that that happened to me at a young age if it needed to happen. So when it comes to snowboarding, I saw two-legged people snowboard past me and I was like, if I had two legs, this would be easier. Um, So it definitely did. It also is so much more complicated because you're not just strapping into a snowboard, put your feet in and the biggest worry is your gear. I didn't like, I didn't know what my leg was supposed to be able to do, my left leg. Like I didn't know um, what the fake leg, how tough it needed to be, the like resistance it needed to be able to put, put up with. Um, so it was very technical, very difficult. And I definitely think it was really, really challenging to find a tour. It was really, really, really hard. I went through so many like leg demos, different legs. Yeah. Like just like thigh lace ups and then like pumps near the knee. Cause who knows, like who, who knows what it's supposed to look like. It was quite fresh in Sochi 2014 is the first time it debuted as a sport for Paralympics. Right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So it was real, real fresh, especially in Australia for amputees um, to kind of compete in border cross as well, not just make it down the mountain. So definitely very, very difficult and a steep learning curve, but um, it definitely improved every year as well as more people were involved and more people kind of understood what an amputee needed to be able to do in a snowboard. So what was your never and how did you make it possible? Did it change over time because of goals shifting, like starting snowboarding at 19? What was your vision growing up? Did you have a dream? Oh, definitely. And I mean, I'm a classic story of actually never really achieving the never, never, if that makes sense. Like I I had this dream when I was when I was in athletics as an amputee to compete at London. I qualified and then I overtrained and ruptured my thigh and had to retire. And then I set new goals. I found snowboarding and although in the first few years my goal wasn't to be first in the world because I am very realistic. Mm-hmm. She was not good at snowboarding. <laughs> um, she was real loose on the snow, some might say. Um, my goal was just to be the best version of myself on snow. And as that progressed and as I progressed, my goals started expanding and 
my goal was to be world number one and to win a gold medal at the Paralympics. And I was go- I was world number one for the disciplines at varying varying stages, and that was sheer hard work and will and determination and not seeing my family for seven years straight. But um, yeah, I never got the gold medal, obviously. I technically have never competed at a Paralympics because I've crashed and injured myself before the official game every single time. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I achieved that. But at the same time, the things that I learned along the way really helped me shift my goals when they weren't appropriate or realistic for me anymore at that time. And that was really, really important because I find that I get hung up on the failures of not achieving a certain thing rather than focusing on the growth that came with like trying to achieve it. And um, so my never was just being a really confident, great snowboarder. And that came with a lot of breaks and an amazing team and awesome coaches that think more of you than you think of yourself and great, you know, a country that loves the snow, even though there's only snow for a few months of the year. So yeah, I think um, in terms of that, that part, I definitely kicked bum. But yeah, kicked there's bum. definitely some real like, yeah, I was like, yeah, it's censored. Um, PG. Yeah, PG. Yeah, there's a lot of things that clearly didn't go the way that it should have. But um, there's real positives around that as well. So the Olympics is a funny one in that way that so many athletes base their the like their entirety of their sport and their being to the one medal or the yeah. one event and it's comes around once every four years and in the scheme of things it's like look at the shit I'm gonna swear that you've achieved yeah and it's like you feel like you never actually achieved that never mm-hmm. because of that one goal where it's like not it's so untrue right it is it's so untrue the olympics is such a funny one in that way it is it's really difficult and that's the biggest lesson where i as an athlete my self-worth genuinely was attached to really achieving those goals and getting the medals and like feeling successful in what i've done and when all of those obstacles happened and i crashed out and i never technically competed and you know i exited the sport quite abruptly with all of my physical injuries my self-worth was completely crashed because my idea of a su- successful athlete is someone that you know has a medal at the paralympic games and i didn't do it therefore i am crappy and it took so long for me to re- rewire that and realize that my self-worth has nothing to do with it Not only that, if I only base my success on that one goal that comes around once every four years, Mm -hmm. I do myself the biggest disservice in just discounting the journey of me all up to that point, which was hard and incredible and beautiful and life-changing as well. And it's kind of like, no one sees that. And it doesn't matter because you need to see that. And as long as you see that, you are successful. That is so true. Yeah. Like lesson. preach that. Oh my God, it is so true. The tangible goals and stuff that you think you need to achieve to have like the credentials of being a, the best athlete. It's mm. just, it is, it's so hard on the human brain. Like It is. It's really, really tough for any athlete just trying to be their best out there. And um, it's also a really, really hard lesson to learn. But the quicker you learn it, the happier you are and you f- you free yourself from these like restraints that you put on yourself as a successful athlete and you get to just be you and do the sport that you love more than anything. 
And because of that, you will be successful. Just because you don't achieve that one dream doesn't mean that you haven't achieved a dream along the way. And that's incredible. Like you need to like celebrate that every single day. That is so true. Yeah. You've always been an athlete. Mm. You mentioned before trying to qualify for, well, qualifying for London Olympics. Yeah. What is that within you? You've all, is that you're raised that way? Is Have you just got a competitive personality? Like how, what is within you that creates this athlete? Look, um, it started from a pretty negative space, to be honest. Um, when when my accident happened, I lived in a very small country town in South Africa where um, disability is like, it's not a thing and people judge you for it and they assume what you can and can't do based on what they can see. So, you know, I was homeschooled for a little while because my school wasn't wheelchair accessible after my accident um, and they wouldn't change the layout of the school for one person. They thought it was really inconvenient. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I lost a leg. I thought that was the worst part. And then I met all these obstacles that other people put in my way. Like they were never Mm -hmm. encouraging. They're the ones that kind of like put these roadblocks banned from team sport because I was a hazard to the people. I know. Are you serious? I know. I was like, I'm literally the most delightful person on this team. How can you ban me? And they said that my prosthetic is a hazard to the other teammates. So I got stripped down from who I was as a 10 year old to nothing and just only someone that has a disability. And sport and athletics was my way of redefining myself, not as someone with a disability, but rather an athlete full stop. It doesn't matter how, who, what, where, when, no one can attach any other label than athlete. And as long as I work really hard and I'm successful, no one will ever see me as anything else other than an incredible athlete. So that's where my drive came from. It came from kind of trying to prove to other people that you can't just put a label on me and put obstacles in my way. And, um, that it became quite an obsession where I couldn't break free from sport because it was my entire identity. So when I had this abrupt exit out of like athletics and they called me like, do you want to try snowboarding? I threw my entire life into it because again, I was like, I need to be an athlete and that's who I am. And it wasn't until, you know, I stepped away from the sport. I was like, I am nothing. I have no one. I was an athlete. And I had to like do some real deep soul searching to discover that it was one component rather than the entire picture. You seriously stepped up. That whole athlete not putting yourself like I am mere the skier or something. It's so, it's such a crazy headspace. It is. It's It's always been that. It is. And trying to step away from that is is a brave thing. Yeah. You lose a lot. Like you lose, mm. uh, cause I'm not technically Joni the snowboarder anymore. I'm just Joni. And for a long time I was like, what does just Joni do? Right. Yeah. And now I'm Joni. I'm not just Joni. I've been able to like step away from that as well, but it's just hard work. You know, we're so wired to like, yeah, uh, be so unkind to ourselves. So it's- I was speaking to Cooper Chapman in a, the other podcast we had with him about it. And it was like when I blew my knee, so I was qualifying for the Olympics and I had sacrificed school, like so not sacrifice, that's not, not the right word, like not done these things. So I don't feel yeah. like I sacrificed anything for my sport, but it was like I tied myself so much to the identity of skiing. And then when that stops and I've got now 15 months of rehab, it's like, whoa this is me just on rehab. Like that disconnection was really heavy for me. It's like, I can imagine that at a retirement level, that would be, it would be a lot. And not having any real direction into where you want to go from there. Cause a lot of athletes then transition into like more sport orientated things where they can put their skills to good use. I like 
transitioned into corporate life, which was like a real shock to the system because all yeah. of a sudden I had to like work nine to fives and it's um it's hard you know, kudos to everyone out there that does nine to fives because she is difficult. <laughs> she is real hard. Yeah. All right. Chumpy's motto was all in. Did you have a motto yourself? Do you have pillars or something you stood by to get you up in those mornings when you're injured? What was your drive? Did you have a line? Yeah. I mean, I had a few throughout the years and they changed. And up until a few years ago, it was always, I can. Um, mm. So and simple. Yeah, it's, I can, you know, days when it's really tough, when you can't get out of bed or when you feel incredibly sad for no reason or you just, you know, you can't master one thing that you, you've you been putting so much effort into it. It's just taking a step back and going, I can, full stop. Like that's all you need to do. And I am, I am the perfect example of that someone throws 100% into everything yeah. that they have. And I'm glad that you say you haven't sacrificed anything for your sport. I wish I could say that because I'm, I was obsessive, obsessive with mine and not, not in a great healthy way, like in a she cray cray way. (laughs) Yeah. So, but it was just always, you can. I've definitely given up stuff for my sport, but I don't want to see it as a sacrifice because I'm doing it for something that I love more. Exactly. You know? It's prioritizing yeah. things that's that are right important to you. Yeah. And that's so healthy. And look at you just kicking goals and being like having that mindset, it changes everything. So you're setting yourself up to be super successful regardless of any <laughs> outcome and anything that you do. I wish I had that at your age when I was like when you were starting to snowboard though. Yeah. That's <laughs> that's a difference. <laughs> All right. So we are four pillars of the foundation is education, mental health, environment and community. Mm. Do one of these resonate and inspire you? Let me just say all four are necessities. And when I look at these four pillars, this is how I see it, right? When you do what you do, you build yourself up and you're going places. And as you become successful, as you achieve those goals, you're climbing the ladder, right? Mm -hmm. If something happens and that ladder breaks and you fall right back down, if you don't have the four pillars in place to catch you, to help you rebuild, you have nothing and you hit the ground so much harder. Like those four pillars are what keeps the level and the ladder going all the way up. Like it is so important. So all four, amazing. The biggest one out of them for me is community. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of spaces growing up where I didn't have community. I felt incredibly isolated, not in, not because, you know, um, physically where I was, more so lack of education around disability and also being the only one, like you're in a country town in South Africa, like you are the only disabled in a very mm-hmm. like big area. And um, for me, finding community and finding like-minded people, regardless in the package that they came with, was everything. It helped me. It pulled me out of so many dark places, just knowing that one, I wasn't alone and two, I can reach out to someone and have them there regardless. Cause you know, your family is amazing, but sometimes they can't help. Sometimes you need to step away from it and you need community around you in a different sense where you can break free and express yourself. So for me, having a strong community, whether that's school or friends or art or whatever it is, it is so incredibly important. And, um, I mean, education, girlfriend. Yeah. Yeah, Right. 
it's everything starts with education, everything. Like if you don't know something, you need to learn it to be able to understand it and to then participate with it. Mm-hmm. So education is just key. And then I'm mental health. I wish I had more of that. Now she's good, but she was real loose in the last 10 years. So I wish, I really wish that was more pushed in my sporting career. It would have, it would have done a lot for me. So Choosing one is really impossible because they are, like I've said, they do go hand in hand. They do. And they work together to form a holistic picture. You need all four sides. Mm -hmm. A lot of athletes talk about the community one Mm. because that's what we are, especially in Australian snow sports. It is such a tight knit community and we have to fall back on each other. We've got to be role models for each other. It's, it's important. Yeah. It's, and it's so niche. Like you don't normally say snow in Australia, together but then when you do here in Australia the only way it works the only way it functions and the only way it stays alive is through community and through people pitching in and reaching out and doing the work and you know making things lasting for future generations so it is community is really huge when it comes to Australian snow and Australian snow sports. I'm going to wrap this up with three hot questions hit me three good questions with Joni Mm -hmm. What book is on your bedside table right now? Oh, that's a real embarrassing. <laughs> Podcast, audiobook, anything. <laughs> okay, so I do audiobooks. Yes. I'm um, currently listening. I do a lot of fantasy and like fiction. Yes, love yep. it. And um, it's called The Way of Kings. If you're into like fiction, this will change your life. Okay, this guy writes, I immerse myself into this book every opportunity that I get. It's called way of kings and look it up i'm gonna i don't read much fiction and when i do i love it Mm. so i'm gonna keep take note (laughs) oh my word no it's worth it it's a little bit complicated in the beginning but the ending is worth it okay perfect Mm -hmm. all right two what is your ultimate karaoke song oh okay (laughs) and you have to sing it you gotta sing the chorus (laughs) let me just say no to that first up but then um no, so whenever what if I we sing have, it with you, if you know it, and we can <laughs> hum, I'm like, I don't want to intimidate Harmonize. you. <laughs> um, it's, I love Mamma Mia, the movie. Oh, well, my name is Mia. So <laughs> I grew up with it. <laughs> I love, I like, I, I, that is my movie. So, you know, the girls, I live with all girls and mm-hmm. you know, it's been a really good night. If the next morning we wake up and the Mamma Mia movie is blasting full volume on the TV it's been a successful night. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, the Mamma Mia song itself, but also any song ABBA has ever sung, it's the only thing Perfect. I want to Perfect. That to. is actually the best answer. Yeah. All right. And if you could choose one superpower, what would it be? Oh, that's so difficult because I'm so nosy. Like I want to know what people are thinking. At the same time, I want to fly because imagine where we could have gone in COVID. But mm. I I think I would have to choose being able to speak any language ever. Oh, that would be so good. And like yeah. even like dog language and oh, stuff. Like, yeah. Just like bark, bark. Yeah. Actually, <laughs> like my dog's real like senile, but I also think he's highly intelligent, but like manipulates us to do things that he wants us to do. I'd love to have a conversation and go, What's your problem? You know what I mean? I like, would, what's going what's My going dog on? is so unsmart. He walked into the door <laughs> last night, actually. So I'd love to be like, are you okay? Like, do you do you need help? Like, should we go see someone about this? Like, yeah, one of those just be like, there for him. <laughs> <laughs> that poor angel. Have you seen those like dog pads that like they tap and it's like food, food. 
he so wouldn't much. be able to do that. He'd probably try to eat the dog pad. He'd be like, what is this? <laughs> the poor angel. Well, I mean, yeah, for that fact, I would also love to speak to animals. Just totally. find out what it's all about. Or just like not look like a dumbass every time I go overseas. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great when you go to like a European country and then, because, you know, I dabble in German. Like most. I dip my toe in it. Yeah. We dabble. I can order a few things. And then the most offensive thing is when you do and they go, no, speak English. And you're like, yeah. I have done Duolingo for six <laughs> months to be able to do this. So like, no, I pay no, no. subscription to that app. Like the highest level. Okay. I will order the schnitzel. Don't stop me with the pomace. And then they're like, no, we, we speak English. And you're like, oh, well, okay then. And they, co- and they say it back to you in English. And you're like, okay, I'm trying to do something here. Like, can you help me out? <laughs> learn, improve myself. And you're putting Education. <laughs> Clearly, it's actually one of my pet peeves when I try and speak a language and then they go and switch to English. And I'm like, English is not even my first language. Okay, so who the joke is on now? You. That was also not really good English. So. <laughs> <laughs> who the joke is on? Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I totally agree. Well, it's been awesome talking to you. Thank you so much for joining us today at the podcast. Here in the today at the podcast. Today at the Commons to record the podcast is what I should say. <laughs> Thank you so much for having good me. Good English. Yeah, oh, again, honestly, it's infectious. I'm so sorry. You're gonna leave here, and your parents are gonna be like, "What did she do?" It's just my English. Mum, hi, home now. (laughs) Sorry, bye. (laughs) It's been a good chat. Chat was good. (laughs) See you later. Bye now. Yet another day that we have to share. My reflections of these when I appreciate what I have. Let's run out the headland Skip stones by the riverside Tell stories and watch the stars all night Cause this is our life You are my echo This podcast series was created by the Chumpy Pullen Foundation Produced by Rennie Studio in Sydney And hosted by Miff Rennie The Chumpy Pullen Foundation is supported by Johnson Advisory XTM, Rennie Studio, Dalton Strata, Burton, Electric Eyewear, Turn and Burn, and Globe. The foundation would not be possible without our sponsors. Please support them. The foundation would like to thank the Pullen family, Chris, Sally, and Emma, for their ongoing support of the foundation. A special thanks to Elodie and Minnie Pullen, the foundation advisory team, our operations manager, Michelle Morgan, and the All In Series host, Miff Rennie. Thank you to our special guests who give up their time to share their stories with the Chumpy audience. Be sure to subscribe to the All In Podcast series on Spotify, Apple, Amazon and Google Podcasts or via the Foundation website at chumpypollinfoundation.org. strength from you so far